Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The Links and Locks Podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. Four. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. Welcome to Links and Locks, Action Network's golf betting podcast presented by Bet365. I'm your host, Spencer Aguiar, and I'll be joined every Wednesday by my co-host, Nick Brettwish, where we will provide you with a full breakdown of that week's tournament from all sides of the gambling market. I'm excited to announce that we will also be joined by Roberto Arguello of Action Network beginning next Wednesday, but let's get right into what everyone came here to see, which is positive EV wagers and statistical analysis behind this week's venue. Designed in 1957, Silverado Country Club has undergone some restorations over the years, including two notable changes from Robert Trent Jones in 1967 and Johnny Miller in 2011. It is worth noting that the facility had to take on some additional repairs after fires ravaged the area in 2017 and 2018, but the layout walks this fine line between your classic resort-style birdie shootout and something slightly more sinister when you consider Miller has petitioned for this course to be up for major championship consideration in the past. Narrow fairways have always been noticeable from a statistical perspective, which we see with players hitting the short grass only 52% of the time, but we start walking down this path of mixed returns since the venue is trying hard to be one thing, but can't quite find its identity for multiple reasons. For starters, the measurement of under 7,200 yards as a par 72 is about as short as you will find on tour, and we get a secondary line of ease when you notice that driving distance remains above average, despite the wayward potential that does come into play off the tee. The tree line setup doesn't present quite the difficulty that you might expect since sporadic spacing does allow for extra aggression, and golfers that can miss to the correct side of the rough should have an easier time traversing the course, assuming you don't find yourself so errant with your first shot that you become trapped with no line of sight to the green. There is some wind potential that can come into play, and I'd have to imagine we see the putting surface a little firmer than usual to try and deter this from creeping lower than 20 under par, but for a track that often struggles to find its identity, the rudimentary strategy most likely will come down to total driving, especially when we gear it towards distance and wedge proximity from 0 to 150 yards. We see 50.9% of shots take place from that range, a total that might appear normal on the surface, But not only is that 11.6% above expectation, the only reason it isn't higher stems from the eight combined par three and par five holes that are on the course. From a model building perspective, I did divide this venue into two different outlooks. 
Half of the analysis came from the nine par fours that are under 450 yards. And then the final portion took a look into the aforementioned par three and par five categories that will require long iron proximity to find success. Uh, Nick, I know that was an extended breakdown, but did you notice anything different than I mentioned about the course before we get ourselves into some wagers this week? No, not really. When breaking down my model, I think, like you said, driving distance is going to be very important. If you're missing the fairways, it's not that big of a deal. The rough is not penal at all. So just really honing in on those proximities, pretty much 150 and in from the fairway based on golfers that are more accurate off the tee and from the rough for those guys that more kind of bomb and gouge, if you will. But no, I love it. And three putt avoidance. These greens are huge. So definitely want to target some guys that can make putts. As a reminder, the Links and Locks podcast is proudly presented by Bet365, the world's favorite sportsbook brand. Sign up with promo code ACTION to get Bet365's exclusive sign-up offer in New Jersey and Colorado. Bet $1 on any game, get $200 free. Let's shift into what I would consider my bread and butter of matchup plays. Uh, one of the things Nick and I like to do on our podcast of Better Golf is find potential fade candidates. I will get more into my thoughts there in a second, but... Nick, do you have any players you are looking to take on this week in the head-to-head -head sector or any matchups you have already locked in? Really, the uh, I, I do have the same matchup. I know you're going to talk about it in a moment, but in terms of my model for where the betting market's at, where the DFS pricing market's at, all that good stuff, someone that I really want to fade is Denny McCarthy. And I know we just talked about putters. He's probably one of the best putters on the planet, but every other aspect of the game that my model weighed rather heavily, Denny McCarthy was significantly negative value for me there. So if you could find matchups against Denny McCarthy, I think you're probably in a good spot there. Yeah, there's one, unfortunately, that has moved 30 points before we were able to record this show. I think there's other ways that you can find a matchup against him. But I've mentioned this before on other programs, but my general strategy for head-to-head -head wagers isn't necessarily trying to find golfers my model likes for the week. I think far too many people become infatuated with the idea of having to back an individual player all the way to the point where they ignore the opponent that they are taking on. I'm of course going to play golfers that my model respects, but finding potential fade candidates gives us multiple paths for success. For starters, our edge is already built into the play because we are selecting targets with positive equity. But more importantly than that, finding fade candidates makes life easier since books will vary their matchups. That is what Nick is alluding to when it comes to Denny McCarthy. And miscut equity goes a long way when it comes to finding the correct opponent across the plethora of outlets in the space. So when we start looking at who those overrated commodities are, Denny McCarthy is also mine. I think he's grading as a severe negative option that we can attack in various ways. I think one of the players that I like, it would be Brendan Steele minus 127. That's about as much juice as you will see me lay on a wager. McCarthy is 116th in my reweighed par five scoring. 112th in total driving and 118th in weighted proximity. Steele does have some negative trajectory marks for upside and safety himself if we want to get technical, but the course history has been good at Silverado and he also ranks first in this field for strokes gained tee to green over the past 24 rounds. Patrick Rogers minus 120 over Brendan Todd. Unfortunately, that number has also moved. So I think there's better ways that we can attack Patrick Rogers in the market. We can talk about that a little bit when we move into the placement wager. But the one thing I'll say about Rogers before we get there, Rogers is one of the most underrated options on the board for me this week. I love his combination of distance and putting. We know the California swing is always beneficial for his upside. And even though if we're looking directly at this matchup, and maybe you're going to be able to find this for around the same price, I think 150 is the proper price on it. So if you can find lower than that, certainly you can find a way to play it. But even if Todd is not a natural fade candidate, 
His overall rank of 53rd is still low enough when we look into Rodgers' total, which places him 14th in my model. And then the last play that I will quickly rattle off is Gary Woodland minus 120 over Matt Kuchar. All of these plays that I've mentioned have a little more juice than I would prefer to take on, but each is cracking the 20-point minimum threshold of value that I needed to give it a recommendation on a show. As we keep alluding to, numbers move fast in this space, but I never want to give something on this show or even an article that puts anyone in a negative EV bind if it drifts from the total I mentioned. So always keep that in mind over time if you see a movement. Many of these wagers will be more than 20 points off in my model, but I'm always comfortable playing them up to that 20-point move if there is a change. Nick, I know that was a lot of information there to consider, but one, do you have any thoughts on those matchups? And two, if you had to play one of those and put it on your card, where are you going? I like them all. Honestly, it's, I mean, you put too much information and too much research into me telling you that those are not valuable bets, but if I could still get the Patrick Rogers minus 120, I feel like that'd be my favorite one right now to go against Brendan Todd there. I guess let's move into the placement sector. That head to head market is always going to be where I try to make all of my money. I know this placement range is where you make yours. So uh, I don't have many plays myself, but we can either rotate until I run out or you can give everything you have at once. It's up to you of how you want to handle this. I'll go first and then I'll end with the one that I know you're going to be on as well. We already mentioned him a little bit, but I'm going to start kind of a gross field that the top of the board's decent and it really dives down a lot in terms of talent. But Michael Kim, top 40, you could find anywhere from plus 190 up to 250. But this guy has 11 straight top 35 finishes, and he is a corn fairy guy as well. But he did finish seventh at the Barbasol, where he did finish ahead of guys that are huge betting favorites this week, like Taylor Pendrith, Taylor Moore, Austin Smotherman, and Chris Goderup. He beat all those guys that week. And when I kind of dove into Keen Trace, it seems like a relatively similar setup, maybe not as much of an emphasis on three-putt avoidance and putting in general, but it's a bomber's course. Being accurate off the tee helps a little bit as well. So he survived in a bomber's course at Keen Trace. I feel like most of the players out there and most of the gamblers out there are looking for guys that have distance. Michael Kim is just a fantastic iron player. He's a very good putter on these types of greens as well. I think he sneaks in with his good form right now. Again, I know it's corn fairy form, but this dude is a walking top 35 finisher right now. And outside of seven, eight, nine, maybe 10 golfers, this is not that strong of a field. I think Michael Kim could get in there. I really like Callum Terran in terms of like my bomb and gouge type of guy. You could find a top 40 all the way up to or as long as plus 170 right now. Matthew Neesmith, top 40 as long as plus 175. And then a guy that, no one seems to like, I used to like him two, three years ago, played a lot in DFS, but Henrik Norlander seems to have ended the PGA season in very good form, tied 47th at the Wyndham, that's not great, but tied 30th at the Rocket Mortgage. Both of those finishes in terms of Henrik Norlander are great signs. Three straight top 40 finishes on the Corn Ferry events after he lost his card at the end of the PGA season, including a tied sixth two weeks ago. So the iron play, which is what we kind of like Henrik Norlander for, at least what I did two years ago, seems to be coming back to form. The putting certainly will not be there, but this is a surface that he seems to be better at putting at. So if his proximity game with the irons can be there, I think I'll be all over Henrik Norlander. And then tell me why you love Patrick Rogers top 40. And I believe you got another play for us as well. Yeah, so I'm a very aggressive better in the sense that when I find an edge on a player, I try to attack them in various markets when possible. And I am going to continue that here with Patrick Rogers at plus 150. Rogers has landed inside that mark at this tournament three of seven times since 2015, 
But the more significant takeaway is that an additional three of those appearances resulted in him finishing between 43rd and 46th place. From a season-long perspective, I would not be surprised if the 30-year-old finally takes his game to the next level, which is one of the reasons I am going to aggressively pursue some of these numbers on him when my model indicates a significant edge. But a lot of my week will definitely come down to him finding success. Really like that Patrick Rogers price at plus 150. I considered options like Luke List and Wyndham Clark for my final top 40 bet. But I think there's a little too much volatility on those wagers for me to feel comfortable backing either in a market like this. So I decided to play a specialty bet for my final placement recommendation of the week in Alex Smalley to finish 71st place or better on the leaderboard at minus 120. You can find this wager on bet365 under the finishing position tab. And we are essentially looking for a made cut on a golfer I had priced around plus 120 to land a top 40. Sure, you can make an argument that not grabbing as much juice and taking him at that plus 150 price to finish higher might be the more thoughtful strategy. But I'm intrigued by this market that Bet365 is offering. And I'm going to start building my model out to see if I can find edges on these. This is the first time that you and I have ever dove into this market trying to find value. But I believe we can typically find a golfer to way undervalued if we're patient in that market. So any thoughts on that smallie play to come inside, I guess, essentially the top 71 there? No, I love it. I mean, at minus 120, again, I haven't built my model out to kind of mock the way that Bet365 does this placement market here. But minus 120, I, I believe just kind of looking at the way I built this, I think I'd have it right around like minus 145. We'll see. I think next week will be great because we can kind of build our models out to what Bet365 doing here. But I, I think it's it's very cool. Like that's a, that's a fun number to me. I know I like chasing top forties, but the more safety I could get when getting my golf betting exposure out there, I like, I think this, this is going to be a, a book that I like to use a lot. I think moving forward. Yeah. I, I think that's one of the things that we always try to preach when we do our show together. And now we're obviously going to talk about a lot on here. We are looking for those wagers where let's take an outright, for example, you know, and we're not players that go to the top of the board in general, but there's a lot of exposure and outrights that naturally come into play and they're difficult to hit. I don't care how good you are on outrights and anybody who's hitting a lot of them are probably overexposing themselves in that market to begin with. We're trying to find head to heads. We're trying to find placement bets. We're trying to find all those markets that can give us sustainable bankroll growth over the course of time. And then when you have something like an outright that does come in, that's when you get your really massive weeks. You know, if you're able to you know, hypothetically speaking, let's say I hit all my Patrick Rogers bets this week, and then one of my outrights can come in. That's how you can get your 10 plus unit weeks. And this is the long haul we're in this for. We're not trying to become millionaires overnight with this. We're building models to find that long-term sustainable growth that I keep talking about. So that's going to be it for me though, in the top 40 market. I don't really have anything else to talk about. I don't know if you have a player or two that came close for you that you wanted to talk about before we move on. I do have a couple if you don't. No, go ahead. So here's the guys that I at least had a significant edge on. Just to list a couple players, Austin Smotherman, Charlie Hoffman, Nate Lashley, Luke List, Ricky Fowler. I think a lot of those are probably a little bit too volatile if we're talking about a placement bet. But I know we talked a little bit on our show about Nate Lashley. Did you come close to him at all in a top 40? Yeah, I, I just didn't have the price. Uh, so uh, just a, a show rule for me personally, when I do my model and I get my pricing out, I like to have at least 30 points of value in the placement market. With Nate Lashley, I only had 20. So it's just not not a, I'm not a play I'm going to force, especially with a guy like Nate Lashley. Like if it was a stud golfer and I was very close to having value on and he's in great form, great course fit, whatever the case may be. I think I'd push the envelope a little bit there. But when it's a guy like Nate Lashley, I think it's like it's best for my pocket to save those units. And, and move over. Usually 
I risk anywhere from five to seven on a normal tournament. Right now, I only have 3.84 units at risk. And I think just in general with this field, I think that's probably best for me is to kind of just play it safe. I do have a lot of exposure in the placement market and only three outrights. And I think other than the Patrick Rogers over Brendan Todd bet, which is 1.2 units of that 3.84 is on that Rogers bet. So other than that, I think this is more of a stay away. And I don't even know if I'm going to really entertain this tournament live in terms of a live outright winner that I usually save room for at least a unit or so. I have a model that's built specifically for that. So I probably will be diving into that. As far as the Nate Lashley answer is concerned, just to throw it out there because I think it's relevant. So he's 50th overall for me on my model. He's 42nd for upside. So you do get some positive trends in that direction. 79th for safety. That's what pushed me against him at the end of the day. I didn't have a price that I felt comfortable. And it's going to be the same answer with Ricky Fowler and Luke List and all of those guys. I think there's better ways to play them than to take a placement wager where there is still a lot of risk that comes into play. But I guess let's move into the outrights. I will talk a little strategy for a second since I know a common question I get asked when talking about golf is how to structure your card on these wagers. I will say there is no exact science to it. But one of the biggest things I want everyone to always consider is that you never have to force a certain amount of units into play. Nick was just talking about that right now. His card's smaller than it usually is. Your card in all sectors should always stem from the value you can find, not some basic template that dictates that you need to force X amount of units into play. Some win totals will be a little larger than others if the edge points us in that direction of a more aggressive approach. But for the first week of this show, I have six outright bets. I'm going to mention them all on here. I spread them out to 0.62 units to win roughly eight on each. For reference sake, I try not to be higher than 1.25 through my pre-tournament outrights and in-tournament ads, but I've left my card open if anything does come up during the contest. As I kind of alluded to, live betting is a massive part of how I like to attack the week, whether that be from a head-to-head perspective on those overnight bets or in the outright section. I know we each have the same golfer up top as our first bet. Do you want to talk to me a little bit about Taylor Pendrith? Other than just incredible form and the uh, PGA season there, he checks every single box for me. The putting's good. The driver is obviously fantastic and the proximities are lights out. So it's probably a guy you're going to hear any show you listen to talk about. And it seems like I think in terms of the top of the board, that is the only ticket I really have value on. Just real quick, looking at the pricing that I have for guys like Max Homa at 10 to one, I have him at 16 to one. So again, like just because they're probably the most likely guys to bet, I think just to move on with your strategy session, you just had, don't force the bet just because you think they're going to win. Like make sure you do find value in that ticket. And I just don't at the top of the board besides Taylor Pendrith at 30 to one was the only guy that I had value on. And I have him at 25 to one. So At the top of the board, I do like, yeah, a lot more long shots this week. And I know you do too, which you'll get in your card. He's just the only guy that I have value on. And I truly do think Taylor Pendrith can win this event. So I punched a ticket at Taylor Pendrith at 30 to one. I think Pendrith can win this event, obviously also, but I guess the two for me that were close, I didn't get there because I didn't have enough value. Uh, Cameron Davis, Maverick McNeely, those are two players I'll at least be looking to potentially add once the tournament starts. But I love Maverick. Sorry to cut you off. But yeah, if there's anybody I'll be watching live, I think everything about Maverick McNeely at this course is par five scoring, is putting, especially like he does check every single box. The proximities weren't exactly where I wanted to, but I really trust him, especially in California. I would agree with that. So just to quickly touch on Pendrith. So he's the top ranked golfer in my model. As I said, I will be eyeing someone like Maverick McNeely if he gets off to a slower start on Thursday. But Pendrith's form of five top 13 finishes over his last six tournaments might not be fully integrated into the odds at this moment. 
He ranks inside the top 30 of all three scoring ranges in my model, and his combination of total driving and weighted proximity places him second in this field. Neither of us are reinventing the wheel here on this play since he will be popular, but this is one of those spots where I considered it to be justified. I, I mean, not all chalk is bad chalk, and that's something that you also need to remember. I know there is that stigma in the space that anytime that everybody's on the same wager, it can't win. Sure, there is something to be said about that, but if your numbers are liking a player and both of our numbers like Pendrith, I'm not going to jump off of it if I think that there's value. So I think Pendrith at 30 to 1 is a really good value. And do you want to run through the rest of your card here, Nick? Yeah, like I said, it is very short. I did not find a ton of value on most of these golfers. But other than that, I did take Taylor Moore. I had that at 67 to 1, so it was a valuable ticket. And then a guy, if you're an active listener to this show, you're going to hear us talk about him a lot. It's a guy that I swore I would never bet again, no longer than like six weeks ago. I, I barred this guy from my life. I don't know, like football comes, I take a couple weeks off. There's no golf to really analyze. They're playing out in Europe. So it's like, okay, a couple weeks off. I could breathe. Webb Simpson walks his way back into my life. And a lot of my handicapping is recent form. <laughs> so I'm kind of speaking against myself here, but hopefully this is some comedic relief for you guys. But I always like to back guys that are in good form. And Webb Simpson is the complete opposite of that. I think he's losing strokes with his irons in five straight events. But <laughs> My justification to myself here is that the month off had to help him. There's no way it could get any worse for Webb Simpson. So he's still scoring on par fives. You talked about the par five scoring importance right at the beginning. Great putter on this type of stuff. His proximity, it was, it's Poe and Ben Grass. And that, in my model, grades out very well for Webb Simpson. His proximities are just nasty good right now. So I know, again, losing strokes, five straight events approach. But at 65 to 1 for a guy that certainly has the pedigree and has had the pedigree to win PGA events, especially in strong fields, this is not one of those. I think 65 to 1 is just too much inflated. I'm going on a rant about Webb Simpson. But again, you can see it. like it's like anger and love at the same time because I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a coward for going back to him, but there's just too much value on that ticket. So Webb Simpson, long story long, 65 to 1. And then going down the board, the only guy I really liked was Steven Yeager, 110 to 1, if you could still get that price. Again, probably not a guy that could win, but he started to come on towards the end of last year, and he seemed to be a really good course fit, in my Miles' opinion. So I took Wyndham Clark at 66 to 1. I don't love the weight of proximity totals, but only a handful of golfers rank inside the top 25 of the field for both driving distance and putting for the screen texture. The players that fit that mold are Max Homa, who I would be also interested in potentially adding after Thursday. Patrick Rogers, someone I will discuss once again in a second for the hundredth time. Maverick McNeely and then Wyndham Clark. As I mentioned, Patrick Rogers, 110 to one. I always say that if you like one of Clark or Rogers, you should likely be in on the other as well. Rogers will be my highest exposure golfer on the slate. And the West Coast swing has always felt like the location where he will finally get himself into the winner's circle on tour if it does happen. I took Alex Smalley at 125 to one at bet 365. Nick probably knows about my infatuation for Rogers and Smalley better than anyone in the world, but eighth in this field for weighted total driving plus weighted proximity, the par five scoring and putting will need to increase if he wants to win, but we can take a chance on his potential at what I deem to be a generous price tag. I had this price closer to 75 to one. And honestly, this bet just becomes an extension to that 71st or better wager that I will have on him. Luke list 130 to one. I want to preface this by saying the floor here is zero. Like he very well might come in last place, but a last place finish is equivalent to a second place result. If you don't have access to each way betting, 
that is something to remember when you're inside the United States, which, I mean, people have different things. And maybe if you have each way betting, I still think 130 to one is a really good price on that. But list ranks 14th in my model for projected upside if all goes right. And while the safety does rank him as a miscut candidate that grades outside the top 70, the overall appeal is still that of a top 25 golfer because of his ceiling. I don't think people are nearly aggressive enough on outrights and fear the downside. That is my goal on this show. We're going to get people to stop doing that. We're going to get people to move away from the outright market and into other markets in general. But when you do make an outright bet, I want people to be a little bit more aggressive in that sense. And then Austin Smotherman, 250 to one over at bet 365. I likely would prefer Smotherman at a more extended test where he can fully utilize his long iron prowess. But my model seems to think his par five potential might be higher than usual because of the distance he can provide off the tee. Smotherman is one of the top tee to green players in this field. And his projected POA putting is 49 spots higher than his baseline output. Once again, if you've made it this far into the show, the Links and Locks podcast is proudly presented by Bet365, the world's favorite sports book brand. Sign up with the promo code ACTION to get Bet365's exclusive sign-up offer in New Jersey and Colorado. Bet $1 on any game, get $200 free. Before we wrap up this show, Nick, I just want to say this very quickly on the Webb Simpson thing. And I've used this example before in football. Anytime that you have a primetime game, and we'll consider everything that Webb Simpson has done lately as primetime, but anytime you have a primetime game and somebody has underperformed, you usually get that overreaction in the market or even underperformed, but you usually get that overreaction in the market the next week or the weeks prior to that afterwards. I think that's exactly what's going on with Webb Simpson here. I talk about Webb a lot. I push Webb narrative, it seems like every single week, but a lot of people seem to be fed up with that. And when that happens, we're getting a boost in his outright price. Sure, the volatility is still going to be there. Webb maybe hasn't turned anything around, but we know from a long-term perspective, which is one of the reasons why I run my model over a two-year running perspective in general, I want to find players that are able to turn on the switch. And when they do, they have winning upside. I know you call Webb Simpson Mr. No Upside. I think that at least thankfully, you seem to have come around on that by placing an outright ticket on him this week. But I like Webb's yeah. I like Webb's upside in this tournament. This isn't a great tournament. No, not at all. I feel like I said, I can sleep at night just fine knowing that I had what is it, 16 points of value on my model there with a model that hates Webb Simpson. And I kind of like purposely make him go in the negative direction and he's still getting 16 points of value. I'll certainly take that at 65 to one. These are greens he's always historically put very well on. So I'll, I'll trust that. We just need those irons to come back and play. I don't know if you want to call it the John Deere classic prime time, but every tournament after that, yeah, it was a quality event that Webb just didn't get it done at, but that's enough of the Webb talk. If he wins, so I'm, I'm so back. Anything else you want to talk about, man, before we get out of here? Very excited for the opportunity. So thank you to Action Network and thank you to all of you listening. You can find us on Twitter. My handle is at StixPix, S-T-I-X-P-I-C-K-S. Spencer, where can everybody find you? And I'll let you get us out of here. Everybody can find me at T-Off Sports. As I mentioned to start the show, we will also be doing this next week with Roberto Arguello. I'm very excited to bring him along with this show. I think everybody will be very excited to hear his insight that he brings to the game. But that'll do it then for today's episode over here at Links and Locks. For more great golf content from the Action Network and Golf Bet team, check out the Best Bets episode from earlier this week featuring Golf Bet's Jason Sobel and the PGA Tour's Ben Everill as they quickly run down their top plays. You can also check out actionnetwork.com and the Action app for all of the great betting and DFS content that they provide. I know that app is one of my personal favorites since it allows you to track every bet you make across all your favorite sports. But once again, I appreciate everyone tuning into our first show. 
He is Nick Bretwish. I am Tee-Off Sports, and we will see everyone back here this time next week over on Links and Locks. Good luck at the Fortnite Championship. Good luck, you guys.